What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Why Are We Watching This podcast. This week, Zach's cutting off his fingers, and Sean's listening to the voice in the well because we're watching The Color Out of Space. Now, if you don't mind, it's time to milk the alpacas. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? I'm Sean. I'm Zach. And this week we're watching H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. It came out in 2019. It is a sci-fi horror film with an unrated rating. <laughs> I, I don't know. What, unrated. It's unrated. It's unrated. Rated you for un. <laughs> it runs an hour 41 minutes. It was directed by Richard Stanley, who directed Hardware in Dust Devil. Um, it was written by Richard Stanley and Scarlett Amaris, who wrote a segment in the Theater Bazaar, the Mother of Toads segment. And then she worked on a couple of other films that I'm not familiar with. Uh, this movie has an IMDb rating of 6.2. It had a budget of between 6 and $12 million. That's a huge gap. Yeah. That's a $6 million gap. Yeah. This movie made some money in the box office. Did it? Did it succeed or no? I want to say no. No, it didn't. It didn't even make a million dollars. It's a bummer. It was 938 grand. Uh, That's wrong. It is a bummer because I think this movie didn't quite get the attention it deserved. I mean, I didn't hear about it be- until you. So. Right. And I'm, I only knew about it because, which this season has sort of been me poking into, uh, SpectreVision films. I follow them kind of like semi-religiously, I guess. But I found out that they were working on this film uh, and got really excited. Yeah, and that, so I sort of followed it. With that being said, this movie is about a meteorite that lands in a rural farmland, which is then struck with a strange string of occurrences. Vegetation grows bitter. A violet hue takes over the grass and trees, and a strange voice begins to be heard from the well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is based on H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. I will say I I read the short story not long before the movie came out, and I didn't visit it uh, after, but. The the major difference is, is this story is uh, adapted in modern time as opposed to the book being written in, like, the early 1900s. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think they did a really fair adaptation considering that. Yeah. I know that you haven't read it, so this is all for you kind of like, okay. But uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect because it is an older story, and that's sort of where you find – most adaptations of Lovecraft are adapted in a modern setting. Yeah. Uh, Reanimator, uh, From Beyond, this film, uh, Dagon. I mean, I, there's a lot. I'm not going to go through all of them. But War of the I mean, Worlds. Uh, absolutely not Lovecraft, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> I know. It's H.G. Wells, whatever. Thank you. I'm, I, you know what? I'm glad you know. That's no, what I'm going to say. It's funny, though, because like, every time I was <laughs> – like, I, I did already know, but every time we were talking about H.P. Lovecraft, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, and War of the Worlds. And I'm like, wait, no, that was H.G. Wells. <laughs> That's fine. Two I- dudes with, like, the two initial in the front and right. then the last name. So The, like, the literary and they're both un- like named author. Science fiction o- authors. So. Absolutely. And, and both uh, would go on to influence science fiction Massively, right. Yeah. So, uh, getting into that, H.B. Lovecraft popularized the cosmic horror genre, which is actually, ironically now, more popularly known as Lovecraftian horror. Yeah. It's like 
it's created its own genre. It's it's sort of yeah, almost like it's 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 a subgenre. Hold of, on though. The issue with that I have with that <clears throat> is it's almost like fans of Lovecraft um are in an echo chamber. Yeah. And sort of made it its own genre. Beca- yeah. And, and we're going to get into that in a second. Um I'm but, I mean, you could say that about a lot of things. Star Wars. That's true. But but Star Wars didn't, doesn't have a genre. You know what I mean? I mean, Marvel well, kind of does, but... It's uh, sci-fi. But you wouldn't call a science fiction movie a Star Wars film as to where you can call a right. modern adaptation of something a Lovecraftian horror film, even though it has nothing to do with Lovecraft. Shh. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, yeah you so make that's sort point. of what I mean by that. Um, and, and I say that because cosmic horror existed before Lovecraft. He just popularized it. And I don't want to say he's the only one that popularized it, but he sort of made it a more acceptable form of writing. And also the way he did it was a little more uh, well, acceptable. Would you not also agree that when, as time goes on, like things not- change and so... Let me hold on. Let me backtrack. I don't mean to say acceptable. I mean accessible, meaning it's easier for people to more people to read, a broader uh, audience to read. That's that what I mean goes by with what accessible. I'm saying, though. But as far as what I was saying, though, gotcha. I, I didn't mean to say acceptable, but accessible. Right. Um, I think I know why you changed that, but and I, there's a there's a reason I changed yeah, that. Yeah. So before we kind of jump into that, cosmic horror. Um, it, there are a lot of things that can appear to be cosmic horror because uh, because of the definition here, but we're going to kind of get into that too. Cosmic so horror. Cosmic horror. Cosmic horror. Cosmic horror. Horror. There are three definitions of cosmic horror that I could find. The first being the fear and awe we feel when confronted by phenomenon beyond our comprehension, whose scope extends beyond the narrow field of human affairs and boasts of cosmic significance. Which this is huge in Lovecraft's writing. A lot of it comes down to cultism or uh, these sort of creatures beyond human understanding, uh, Cthulhu being one of the major players in that mythology. The second definition I found was a contemplation of mankind's place in the vast, comfortless universe revealed by modern science in which the horror springs from the discovery of appalling truth, Mm. which I think is a, a great explanation of what cosmic horror is. Yeah. And then the third was a naturalistic fusion of horror and science fiction in which presumptions about the nature of reality are eroded, mm-hmm. which is a, a, an interesting way of looking at it, but also accurate. Yeah. The uh, the first Hellboy movie, like if you're not really like familiar with like what cosmic horror feels like, although it's not quite a horror, but it's it's still definitely there. Um, that for the first Hellboy movie is like kind of a good example, which Hellboy famously draws from Lovecraft. Yeah, so it, that is a great example, actually. Yeah, Mike Mignola is a pretty big fan. He, he draws in a lot of folklore stuff too, though. But um, yeah, now cosmic horror was prominent in the works of Edgar Allan Poe, who's pretty widely known. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, he's he's inspired as many, if not more, people than Lovecraft. Uh, yeah, I would say. Yeah, well, I I think that's kind of changing though. I think it I is. I think with now. time, that's it's changing because one, <laughs> one weird point I guess would be like I kind of always associate Edgar Allan Poe with like goth people. Sure, there's but, not really like that many goth people anymore. Yeah, I still think that that's or like, at least becoming newly goth. That's I guess. still sort of um, it's a weird thing to kind of talk about. <sighs> 
I think that that's still sort of a shallow interpretation of what Edgar Allan Poe is, or as far as his writing goes, because there is a lot of that, but he also wrote a lot of things that were beyond just the that aesthetic. Sure. And so, but I do agree with what you mean, because I just that mean Tim on like Burton a... goth look mm-hmm. that was huge in the 80s and 90s, that uh, uh, post-punk or even uh, uh, new wave. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing is just heavily associated with him, but I think that that's a common misconception of what Edgar Allan Poe is on a surface level. It doesn't define Edgar right. Allan Poe. His fan base doesn't define him. Right, exactly. Or and, his writing, I And also say. that aesthetic doesn't define him as much as it seems to be related to him. Right, because, I mean, it wasn't like he was like, yeah, I'm goth. Like, right. you know, like in his day, right. he was like, I'm just kind of a dude that kind of thinks about some dark shit. Totally, and... He's he's a really interesting person. I have a collection of Edgar Allan Poe's, and it's fat, but there's there's even writing um, that he just did studies of things and would write about them, yeah. sort of um, on a more, like, collegiate level. Mm-hmm. And then also just his speeches that he would give that were totally just intellect-based. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting reading that stuff because it's such a uh, distance from what I'm used to even reading or what people are mostly used to reading of his. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Not an Edgar Allan Poe podcast, sorry. We also have Algernon Blackwood, who is famous for ghost stories. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm not particularly familiar with this I was going to say, I'm not familiar with this person at all. I've never heard that name. Yeah, me either. But but I did re- uh, look and see that a lot of ghost stuff is sort of adapted of his writing. Mm-hmm. And then we have another writer I'm not familiar with, who's Lord Dunsany. But I did look him up, and he Lord. did have some. He did have some prolific uh, writing that had been associated with. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. I am Lord. From here on out, we we're gonna kind of nerd out on Lovecraft throughout yeah, this podcast. Yeah, it's and this might be a long one. I'm just gonna let you guys know. Right, we're expecting this episode to be. Mm, at least an hour. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm going to do my best to not make it a two-parter because I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, That'd be interesting. First two-parter. Yeah. So, But I, I want to make something clear. From here on out, if we say something about loving Lovecraft or the genre, we're talking about the genre and not the man. Because there are some things about the man that need to be sort of addressed as well. He was sexist. He was racist. And he was also like immensely afraid of sex. And those things define him very much so through his writing you'll you'll see those things yeah. and i want to address that because i don't want there to be the misunderstanding that i'm approving of or appreciating some of those things that come up in his writing cuz that's not that's not at all what we're talking about right we're talking more so about his contribution to the genre yeah if you guys can't tell yet I only like aliens, so right. if there's not an alien in it, I don't fucking care. And of course, Lovecraft is aliens and, and gods. Exactly. So, absolutely. Um, exactly. So into this movie, Richard Stanley, this is his first movie uh, in 20 years. Oh, wow. Which seems crazy, especially watching this movie, and I'm going to sort of spoil my score a little here, but this movie is made extremely competently, especially from someone who hasn't made a movie in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I think I'm going to get into about the behind-the-scenes stuff with this movie is that this is meant to be the first of a trilogy. We know the box oh. office numbers, so who knows if that's going to happen, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But um, I know that this movie was also open to a very small run of theaters, so I don't know that that necessarily dictates whether or not this movie it, will get a sequel. It didn't get a blockbuster theatrical release, so it's kind of unfair to say because had it, it might have still made some money. Well, and on top of that, I know that they did a, 
pre-orders for the DVD or Blu-ray rather, which is what I I bought. So I, I I'm helping you, Rick. I'm trying to help you get that second movie made, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so he was hoping to do three of these, and he wants the next one to be an adaptation of the Dunwick Horror, which I think would be so cool, because without getting into that story, the Dunwick Horror involves a woman being pregnant with a monster. Yeah. With a with the Cthulhu-esque monster. And I mm. won't really get into that too much more, but you should read the story. It's good. Uh, now we can talk about the movie. We can actually talk about this movie. So this movie starts out with a narration, and I said, fuck you for narrating to me, because I hate that trope. Oh, but if you listen to what he says... I love it, because it's beautiful. It's poetic. And, yeah, exactly. And how he says it, and the shots. Right. Because you're also getting it... Is it before or after credits? It's before? Yeah, it's before, and then it rolls credits, and then we get into the movie. Right. They don't... They kind of get that out of the way, pretty much, to jump in. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we get that. We then also, I want to address, like you said, we get some beautiful cinematography with the imagery over the, with, over the voiceover. Yeah. Beautiful cinematography. And that's something that's going to maintain this entire movie. It doesn't go away. I think every shot in this movie is a photo. It's a, it's like literally a a beautiful photo. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get some weird imagery of some Barbie legs that look like a swastika. Yeah. Although I think that that was a tongue-in-cheek joke about uh, Lovecraft being anti-Semitic. Ooh, I didn't think about that. But, like, maybe? Because there are a lot of references to Lovecraft that are sort of tongue-in-cheek in in this movie. And we're going to get into one of those in a minute. Now, I was wondering, though, which unfortunately I I didn't do my research last night. I felt, uh, dude, which is funny, after watching this movie... (laughs) <laughs> and if you watch it, you'll understand. But, like, when I got home last night, which was, like, a little before 9.30 or so, sure. a little before 9.20, out of nowhere, like, I feel like I didn't really do anything. Right. And out of nowhere, it was, like, 1 o'clock. And they experience a lot of stuff like this. Where time where, sort of fluctuates around them. Yeah, they're, like, one minute it was day, and then the next second it's nighttime. Yeah. And I'm, like, uh, lost. It's very interesting how your life, maybe you experienced the color. But it wasn't like anything flipped. Like, I remember everything I did. I'm just like, how did that take me three, four hours? Right, right. I know I get that. that. And that happens to me all the time. I mean, my relation to that is I, I've been reading the rest of True, In, uh, True Indie, which if you've been following this podcast, you're like, why is it taking you like eight months to read this book? And I, <laughs> oh, I know, yeah, you right? announced it like forever ago, huh? But I, uh, I, just yesterday I sat down with the determination to finish it because I only had like 200 pages left and I blasted through 150 pages, but I'm like, there goes like eight hours of my fucking life. Right, You know, yeah. I didn't even realize. Um, yeah, so one of the major things in the opening of this movie is we get to see uh, Lavinia, who is this Wiccan girl and she's sort of performing a spell and it, uh, it's a ritual. It's a ritual, sure. And I'm going to do something. We haven't said it yet. Spoilers. Yeah, I was going to say... Spoilers! I'm I'm not going to pull any punches on this one. I'm going to sort of just make references to the end. Or things that happen throughout this movie. Because otherwise I'm going to forget them as we're going. Yeah. She's ma- she's doing a spell, and I'm going to explain what's happening. She's burning her mom's hair, and she's sort of trying to do a protection spell on her mother. Mm-hmm. Later, throughout some dialogue, we're going to sort of have revealed that she's recovering from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And they just moved to this farm to get away from the city and the stresses of sort of everything that they were dealing with. Right. 
this is a major theme in this movie, and it also knowing this makes this movie incredibly tragic. Yeah, yeah. And um, we get I some want, boo-hoos, kind of. I wanted to bring this up to you because she performs Brings a spell. Tissues. She performs a spell later on too. Um, or a ritual. Something. Do you think that she's actually performing rituals successfully, or do you think that it is totally coincidental to what's happening around them? And I'm asking you this because the first time through, I was prominent that it had nothing to do with it. And this time through, I started to thinking maybe there was... Maybe it actually does? Sure. That's how I felt, too, because in the first one, the last thing she says is, and please get me out of here. Because mm-hmm. she's talking about protect my mother, rid her of her cancer, um, and then she's like, and then please get me out of here. And, well, in a way the events that unfold did well. And I think totally. And I think that there's something else that uh, about her character that's sort of revealed throughout. And it's that she's, she believes herself to be a part of this Wiccan lifestyle, but she's she's so fake though. It's not, she is fake, but I think that it's because it's not, she's naive. Yeah. She has like, a, cause she seems knowledgeable, but, but she has she a surface like, level understanding of what she's doing. And I think also that has something to do with the idea of humans mm-hmm. fucking with things that we only have a surface level of understanding on. I think at the same time, I think she's supposed to be like, it's not addressed, but I think she's supposed to be like 17 Yeah, and being 10 plus years older. Uh, it's easy to sort of laugh at those things. Well, and it's also kind of like, man, she is like. She's she's such a poser because like she's not really into it, but but she is. And at one point, something they bring up is how she loves fast food meat, and like yeah, and she's like, oh, I love mystery meat. That doesn't seem wicked to me, right? At and all. And I would think that if anything, in this area she's living in, she's thriving in it with all the nature and everything, because that's a totally. huge part of which lifestyle. Yeah, being one with <laughs> nature. I mean, yeah, having like an animal that's your familiar, absolutely. Yeah, and even just the energy of the land and the trees and the water and the air and the sun and, you know, moon. Yeah, I I was curious Watch, about we that got this Wiccans listening to us and they're like, you guys are fucking idiots. I'm going to say this too. <laughs> we are two straight white guys yeah. with, a, with that surface level understanding of what being Wiccan is. So, <laughs> yeah. so to add that to it. And I think that Richard Stanley did that on purpose because later on there's even a joke about – from our one of our other main characters uh, about what she believes in, and uh, he kind of references something else, and then she's like, it's Wiccan. And so I think that that kind of adds to it, is the fact yeah. that even she only has a surface-level understanding of what being Wiccan is. Yeah, and I just want to let you guys know, Sean's rocking the shades now, so you know it's business time. Dude, I'm in. Uh, so this is where we sort of also are introduced to our, I would argue, main character, our protagonist. <laughs> I want to say no, but at the same time, you're not wrong. He technically is yeah. the protagonist of He's the story. He's the one the movie's like really kind of... Well, it's hard to say. Is the family at a, as a whole not the protagonist? No. I think that they are simply people in the middle of a situation mm. and we're seeing their reaction, mm. but I don't think that, that makes them the protagonist because, I mean... Well, let's get into this character first and maybe we can dissect this as we go. Yeah. So... We are introduced to Ward Phillips. Mm-hmm. Ward Phillips is an allegory for Howard Phillips Lovecraft, H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. Ward Phillips is also portrayed by a black actor, which is a tongue-in-cheek 
sort of joke at the expense of Lovecraft being racist. Right. I love that. And this is where I think Richard Stanley is coming in and saying, look, I appreciate the work. I don't necessarily appreciate the man. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is so brilliant. And I think that that's something that this movie absolutely needed. And that all Lovecraft work has sort of been unwilling to address. Yeah, and it's it's so hard these days to try and get that point across and people to like really connect and understand where you're coming from because of how like cancel culture is. Absolutely. Um, which, I mean, if someone does something that honestly they should go to jail for, then yeah, maybe cancel their career right. because which, they should be in jail. But let's let's. Um, but you know, there's it sucks because like you know you like something you find something out about said person who wrote it or whatever created it and then it's like well am i not allowed to like this now right totally you're totally right on it's like do i I have to feel ashamed for liking this now like i can't talk about it i can't defend it which i I didn't want to get too into this but right and i don't either but and and it's sort of relevant to um alan moore if you're familiar with alan moore you already know sort of where i'm going with this if you don't he's sort of a controversial comic book and um graphic novel or writer yeah I appreciate his work. I understand where he's coming from, but he catches a lot of slack because he sort of, a lot of people accuse him of having rape fantasies and sort of playing that out in his stories. Now I'm going to say for the sake of this argument, he has a story where rape is a major part of the plot. However, the story itself is him shining light on the part of Lovecraft stories that Lovecraft didn't address that address uh, that he was, bring, uh, how do I explain this? That he would bring up, but then never fully address and I think that those are the things that Lovecraft did that allowed him to be so accessible. So he would talk about a cult taking a woman and how this woman is birthing the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Alan Moore then goes in and says, well, how did she get pregnant? Yeah. And and real, makes a realistic interpretation of this, and it's brutal. But I think that it shines that light on how brutal Lovecraft's work really was and also his, how brutal his opinions on things and people were. And I feel like... You know, if reading something like that in a story kind of makes you sick, uh, like makes you feel sick, yeah, then it did its job because that's it should. It's kind of, you it's should supposed feel to show sick. you the terror of that, like how horrible this is, and like bring that idea to your reality. Because I mean, we won't probably won't get into it too much because we're not like a, this kind of podcast, but. Right. But, I mean, that's something people deal with. And then it's also something a lot of other people who don't deal with it shrug off because they, they don't have experience. an understanding of it. Absolutely. And experience. Yeah, that sounds I think, wrong, I think we should yeah. shelve it with that. I think that that's right. And that's it's a good place to sort of end that. Say. Yeah. Like, so Ward is wearing a Miskatonic University shirt. That's so fucking cool. Miskatonic University being a huge part of Lovecraftian lore. Yep. He also brings up um, Arkham, which well, is another huge part. They're in Arkham. Um Right, and then, but he he references uh, Arkham the University. He does as well, or he's, the hospital, rather. He says he's from Providence, which that's also important. So H.P. Lovecraft, the writer, his tombstone famously says, "I am Providence." Mm. He's from Providence. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was cool that that was in there, and Providence is also one of Alan Moore's uh, works based on Lovecraft's mm-hmm. work. So that's also why Alan Moore sort of came in my mind when we were talking about this. He came in your mind. Huh? He came in my mind. That's wow. what it feels like reading Alan Moore's work. Honestly, yeah. is like he came in my he mind. He just put his dick right in your ear and just uh, go read the Killing Joke and tell me that's not how it oh, felt. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so 
this sorry we're we're really lingering here lavinia is reading the necronomicon it is a paperback version that can be bought online i think that is also a tongue-in-cheek joke at lovecraft's expense because of how like sort of huge the themes of the necronomicon are but then the fact that you can buy a paperback copy of it and this yeah. young girl's just reading it um and then we are uh brought back to her home she rides a horseback uh to her house and i think that that imagery alone sets this fantastical tone for this and tells you that from right here on, we're going into a, something very outside of the norm. Yeah. And that very much so is what happens. Mm-hmm. We are introduced to the rest of the family. Uh, Benny, her brother, who's played Benny! by Brendan, <laughs> Brendan Mayer. Uh, oh, Lavinia is played by Madeline Arthur, by the way. And I know you said she looked like she was bugging out throughout this movie. Something I wanted to say is her casting. I <laughs> All think, I said was that it kind of looks like one of her eyes just slightly looks a little far the other way. <laughs> well, I'm going to say that I think that her casting and specifically because of her look with her eyes is really important to this movie because her eyes play sort of a huge part of the movie visually. I mean, visually at the end, you definitely get something pretty wicked. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we get Brendan Mayer playing Benny. He looks strikingly sim- similar to Johnny Simmons. We talked about this. He's the kid He's from Cameron in the to do Cameron list. from the to do list. Yeah, uh, sort of like a younger. I, I also thought Evan Peters. Sure, right. He looks a like a combination bit. of the two. Quite yeah, honestly. exactly. The fine. What did you think of the family dynamic between everybody? I know I've only introduced two characters. I actually really yet. liked it. I believed it. I thought it was very um, real. Yeah, especially between the siblings. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, you've got these two older parents. And then, you know, you've got this, like, stoner kid that's – and I think this is, that, this is one of the cooler things is that the brother, Benny, he's, like, the stoner and he's super into space. Right. And, like, science. And he, video and games. Then, he has his computer video gaming. Games, yeah, which he's playing some, like, universe game or right. something in it. And then you have Lavinia who's into witchcraft and stuff and, like, hello, totally. science and witchcraft. That's, like – the that's ingredients love, for cosmic horror and, and cosmic horror Lovecraftian Absolutely. stuff. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. And then they have the younger brother who's like, I, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a kid. Right. And life is a nightmare. So the no. kid is uh, Julian Hillard. He plays Jack is who you're referring to. But like, he's what, how old do you think he is? Six? Uh, yeah. Six, seven, seven. Yeah. Maybe I would eight. say, I would say five to eight. Yeah, I, I don't think five. I think that's a little young. Even I think six might be. So I'm sticking with like seven years old. He's not. He's not ten. Yeah, not quite ten. No, no, no. Um, but like that's the thing is exactly that's like this kid hasn't like created his identity yet. And we sort of see that throughout the movie. I mean, because of the way what ends up happening affects everybody, it affects him in sort of a profound way. Yeah. And ultimately with what ends up happening to him. But Oh, my God. Uh, the parents that you brought up, we have Nathan and Teresa. Nathan is Nicolas Cage. Mm. Uh, we don't quite get the rage cage that we got in Mandy, and I'm so thankful for it because it would have ruined this movie. <laughs> I don't know. As to where it worked in Mandy, I think it might have ruined this movie. Cause, and, and I'm going to say this right now. I think some of his acting in this movie doesn't do this movie justice. I, un, but with that being said, I, think I, I have understand. Some, depending on what parts you're talking about specifically, I think I have some counterpoints. Which, this is going to be an interesting conversation when we get to that point. Because I realized you had had some, like... Um, I said the you way... You made some resolutions said, watching I, it. I said, he. this is really important. Yeah, you, it, like, had figured certain, some things out watching mm-hmm. it the second time. So, uh... The mother is played by Julie Richardson. Uh, that's Teresa. 
She's an interesting casting choice. I only know her from Nip Tuck. <laughs> I used to watch that show, but I don't know She her. was the mother of, the, like, the main family. But it was interesting seeing her, because I don't think I've seen her in a lot else. Yeah, she kind of reminded me of, like, a much older, um... Oh, man. Why can't I think of her name? I know who you're talking about, too. Uma Thurman? No. Oh. Hereditary. Oh, uh, Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Yeah, sure. Which is funny because I think they're about the same age. <sighs> Tony Collette is just like she's so goddess though, timeless too. looking, right? Um, uh, but she also looks like a younger version of the mom from Meet the Parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Kinda, you okay. know, <laughs> like okay. um, um, right off the bat, one thing that we get from the family is Nathan seems a little bit overwhelmed. By the house. Is his father's farm. Right. Or and was it his father's dream to have a farm? No, he said... It was his I, father's I, farm. I, he's, he said, well, look at me. I'm doing what I said I'd never do, living on my father's farm. Okay, right. And it's, we should say, an alpaca farm. Yeah. Which is such a... I, I feel like also some sort of, like, goof. I don't quite understand that in the story. It was very random. And there's some, like, random alpaca random. jokes that come up in it. Yeah. Um... I, I didn't quite get that, but it was funny. I mean, it was funny enough, I guess, but it was kind of odd. odd. Yeah, choice. it's kind of funny, and then it's kind of like, oh. Um, and then one night, I should say, we do get some development for the characters that we've already touched base on, but we sort of see that Nathan and Teresa are trying to rekindle because she's still sort of recovering from her breast cancer, and he's trying to also reassure her, which is a really, like, sweet dynamic between them. Yeah. Uh, that night, they get to have sex uh, for the well, first time in they, what we assume. Well, they start to have sex. They try. Right. For the what seems to be the first time since the operation. Which is six months. Benny's playing some games on his computer. Lavinia, I believe, was sleeping. And No, I think she was listening to music. Listening to music. And Jack, and Jack is, is wandering like, around the house. No, he's in bed. Okay, right. He sees... Uh, the color outside, or hears something and goes out to, into the hall, yeah. which he's then bathed with color, and a meteor strikes the ground. Yep. And everybody is sort of affected by it in a weird way. It makes, like, kind of this sonic boom and, like, creates this huge flash of light um, because then we we kind of get a testimony, I would say, from uh, Nathan when in the next morning sure right because the news the news shows the news up. shows the up and he does which that seems so funny because he ends up watching himself later on tv and he's like couldn't anybody tell me to use a or give me a comb and yeah he's like yeah. making fun of his hair i thought that was pretty good when well, you could tell like it's funny because which i thought maybe is gonna have something to do with the meteor but because they don't do it again throughout the rest of the movie i was like okay it's because he was Nervous because he's on TV. Right. He kept scratching his head. Right, right, And right. so I thought, I was like, oh, man, he's going to, like, end up, like, pulling his skin off or something later well, that, in the movie. that is relevant, though, a little bit. And we'll get into that. Right. But do you think that that... that Actually, so, oh, you know what? So then maybe it is. Could be. Now, hold but on, He though. just doesn't scratch his head, though. I know. And that's why I said It's it. his nuts. <laughs> do you and think... his butt. Do you think, um... <laughs> Damn it. Now I'm forgetting where I was going. Oh, do you think that the, the TV joke about his hair was a reference to that photo that had been picked of him where his hair looked like a bird and that everybody photoshopped his hair look to look to look super big? I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me find this real quick. Because there was this joke. This, I thought you were going to go on about the being the long-haired Superman. 
No, but that's amazing. Uh, and I wish he had been. I don't want to talk about it. That's what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Nick Cage was going to be Superman at one point, and Kevin Smith may or may not have worked on the script. 90s Superman with the... Oh! Okay, I may have seen this. Why'd they make his forehead so huge, though, too? I don't know, but I was wondering if... Maybe that was a reference to that. Like, they definitely made his forehead look huge. Maybe well, it's it was. a bird. If you look at it, it's a bird that is his hair. I know, but his forehead is still ginormous, I know, but look, dude. Like, a fucking bird beak off the widow's peak. Like, his head... I know. I gotta post this picture on the Instagram when this episode oh, comes out. Yeah. He kind of looks like Rocky Dennis. A little, a little bit. That's so mean. Okay. It's mean? Kinda. To him or Rocky Dennis? To him. Oh. Well... It, it's not a real to photo. Rocky Dennis. It's not a real photo. Okay, I'm whatever. sorry, Rocky Dennis. Oh, the power of editing. The meteor. I'm gonna say right off the bat looks really cool. I sort of saw because it it, it sort of like collapses in on itself like ash. Yeah, but it creates something interesting. It looked to me like a skull. The profile now, of a skull. So I missed it, and Sean had to rewind it for me. The thing where it gets kind of confusing, because I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, I'm trying to see Skull. I'm trying to see some Skull. <laughs> trying to but get some Skull. Trying to get some Skull. But it's from, like, a profile view. Right, and so, it's laying and on its, its back, technically. Yeah, so it almost looks like it's, like, coming out of the ground. Right. Like, like they just unburied, unburied? Dug up, like, a uh, body, I guess? I don't know. It's Unner- yeah, like, unearthing a skull that's looking up to the sky, basically. Right. So, like, you see the profile of it. It's pretty cool. But, yeah, when he said that and I looked at it, I was like, yeah, it definitely looks like a skull from, like, the side. And it, it could have been coincidence, but because it, it's sort of a blink-and-you-miss-it thing. But I think it looked I don't way so. too detailed. To yeah. Be, you know. I, I think the fact that you immediately see that is on purpose. Me, too, because just it's, like, like foreshadowing. I, I mean, Just like when I talked about in, in the episode for Mandy... In that scene when she's passing, uh, what was his name? Uh, Amadeus or Jeremiah? Uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah Skaggs, right? Um, uh, When they're passing the van, like, in the trees, I straight up, as soon as the music hits and goes... Right, you said you saw the faces in the woods. I could see a face in the trees. Yeah, But it was like a visual, it was almost like an optical illusion. Which But I think at the same time it was, I, I think it was purposefully made to look like a face to me to give that creepy aura because it was right when the music hit like well, it had the, to be that movie relies it was like, a ton on digital like it stuff was like that it was just so or grim stuff, rather. right and that's what it was it was grim and chilling especially with the music for you it yeah it made like the hairs on my neck stand up so nathan immediately becomes overwhelmed by a smell that he thinks is coming from the meteor no one else notices it. Yeah. And this is sort it's of like a motif for him. It. it comes back. Yeah. Ward sort of just comes over to Lavinia and she ends up taking him to the meteorite to inspect it. Nathan challenges Ward, let me guess, Boston, to which he replies Providence. Yep. Which that's where that came up. We were talking about that earlier. Nathan drinks the alpaca milk straight out of the alpaca after he milks it. And that is fucking disgusting. Well, he explains that. Uh, I find if you put fennel in their feed, it, like, enhances the taste. And, and this is what I was getting at with the alpaca jokes and it sort of being, like, a running gag. It yeah. was sort of weird, but I, I will say the payoff we get with it later on is sort of worth it. Yeah. Um, we also get introduced to Tommy Chong, who's Ezra. Yeah. Ezra is awesome. Ezra's pretty, he's pretty out there. Because he's sort of a hippie, but he, like... He's, like, um, 
Leo from that 70s show, but woke. Yeah, totally. And and way when, older. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. And I want to explain this, too. When you say woke, I mean beyond human comprehension almost. Yes. Because but he the thing points- is that to someone like Ward, he kind of just seems crazy. Although I do no, think sure. Ward does kind of understand him and picks it up. But what I mean but by that... I think that, others are just like, you're crazy. And what man. I want I want to elaborate on that a little bit because there are times when he makes statements about things that would that nature should only know. Right. And so and and about how he can hear voices from this thing in the ground, which we know to be, I mean, it's an alien at this point. We understand that this is all some form of an alien. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's not like your typical like bipedal humanoid gray or something right. or Th- this is and maybe we should get to this now that this is acting up. I mean, the alien itself is the color. Yeah. The color is the alien. Really? Yeah. It, it's it's weird. It's like it's like uh the the being itself is an atmosphere, like right. a living atmosphere, like an ambient Right. It's hard. It's so hard to explain. But I mean, this also, I think, adds to what Lovecraft's style was, was giving you something that is almost beyond human understanding. No, that's absolutely it. Anytime you like look up any of the eldritch gods, most of them are depicted as uncomprehensible to human like sight. And and that's something that is funny. uh, And a lot of people criticize Lovecraft for that is it it almost comes off as lazy writing when he will do that. But I think that it, it plays more to the human imagination, and he knew, I think, that it, what he was doing with that. Because a lot of the time, too, is he'll address that when somebody in his stories comes close to understanding, mm-hmm. it drives them insane. Yeah. Because it, your brain just cannot handle what is reality around you. Right. Um, now, that doesn't quite happen with this movie. Kind of. With some characters. But by the by the end of the story... Do you think anybody has been driven mad? I mean, I guess kind of yes. Nathan, but Lavinia too. Hang on, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that Lavinia is because I want to sort of dissect that character a little more because I think that we could attribute her behavior to the rituals and some of the things that she says in those rituals mm-hmm. because she, in a way, sacrifices herself to some sort of god. When she's reading those things. That's right. And so yeah. I almost want, and that's why I, I was wondering if there was some sort of coincidence here because she basically calls for a way out and then asks for someone to take over her body, which we could assume is the color by the end of the movie. I mean, jumping ahead here, mm-hmm. but the way that it plays out and the way that it interacts with everybody, she's the one who gets the farthest along in surviving it. Yeah, definitely. Who actually yeah. interacts with it. Mm-hmm. So... So that's why I I don't want to quite say that she went crazy. I think that she just gave her body to something beyond her understanding. Well, and I don't necessarily mean she went crazy, but I still think that maybe it drove her to something. Absolutely. Okay. But you do start to see it affect everyone, although I will say it doesn't seem like Benny's really affected by it. He still kind of has his right mind, which maybe it's because he's smoking weed. Sort of, but at the same time, he also starts like losing his memory about how he got places and things like that. But the thing is, it's not altering his, his behavior. 
he's aware of it and he's like this is weird i wonder if that and she kind of is too but she also has some moments where she's kind of she kind of goes nuts no we yeah we see it affecting her directly we never see it affecting benny directly that's really interesting what i mean that's really But even jack is affected i have to wonder now if that is some sort of uh commentary on like marijuana use and like being woke (laughs) yeah right from richard stanley he's in in a science right that's really interesting that's funny um in a way lavinia is in a religion and that's kind of you know no you're right uh let's let's sort of move into what starts happening here i mean the radio the radio and cell signals around start becoming interrupted and we started hearing these mumbled voices ward is potentially attacked by his car uh, yeah. When his oh, car yeah. sort of turns on, and then he goes near it, and it turns off immediately. I didn't think it was an attack. I just thought it was that. Yeah, I guess attack. This not being the word. is just affecting something without visibly, like obviously visibly, doing it. Now, something else that I want to uh, ask you, which this attributes to the thing as well. Do you think that our our alien in this is consciously aware of the fact that it's fucking with these people. Or do you think that it is a natural thing that is just doing what it naturally does? Oh, that's a, that's a good thought because I don't know how to answer that. Part of me wants to say it is purposefully doing this because it seems like a lot of, why, why wouldn't another being that, is beyond our capabilities going to be uh, peaceful and merciful with us, with humans? You know, I think actually, I think I'm going to put a lid on this conversation until we cover (laughs) the thing in the future, because I think I have a better examination of that with that movie. than So I think, I think it depends. Cause I I think that they, they are addressing it in different ways. I mean, unless you want to get into it right now, but we're already running long on this one, and we haven't even really gotten to shit happening. Yeah. But, Let's put a lid on this one for yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. If you guys are interested, we're going to do the thing at some point in the future. We will finish this conversation there. Yeah, we, we'll do the thing for sure, because I, I think I was actually going to make us do it, too, just to, I, just to do it. This is where shit starts to really affect the family. Teresa's in the kitchen cutting carrots, and she goes into a daze and cuts her fingers off. Yeah. This scene's kind of rough, and it's, fucked up. it's one of those scenes where you're like, they're not gonna do it. Like it's it, like you're you're expecting them to, and then you're like, I know they're not gonna do it though. Like right when you think it's gonna happen, it's not gonna happen, and it happens. It's kind of like um, it's disturbing as fuck, too. It's funny. It's like we had uh, through the '80s and '90s, we set up this way to do a jump scare where people the tension built and people knew it was coming, and then it hit you, and then. Late 90s, 2000s, we started using it, and then we wouldn't do it to pull a punch, and then mm-hmm. we would hit you because yeah. people didn't expect it. This movie doesn't do that. It literally does the old model, and it works because people haven't done it in so long. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to give the wrong idea by comparing these, but it kind of has this... You have to watch the movie to understand this scene and how powerful it is with like everything they do it here because when it happens and... She's still chopping. It, it, right, it has the that sound body horror. Oh, right. This, you just hear the knife just hitting the block over and over, and she's just staring blankly, like at the wall. Right. And this was very hered- hereditary esque to me. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of hereditary. With I that. know what you're. I know exactly what you're referring but to. I'm but I'm not absolutely. necessarily comparing them. 
and it with, evoked the same feeling in you. Yeah. Right, sure. I, I can understand that. I say that because I think a lot of diehard hereditary fans would probably be offended by the comparison. Exactly. And I be like, that. this is not that, you know, like, which, whatever. But, which I disagree. But at the same time, I, I will say, okay, her, Hereditary is probably higher up for me too. But I think they're both great films on totally different. Exactly. They're different uh, things. Totally. So totally different. They're different mutants. <laughs> totally. Different beasts. Yes, uh, that's it. But yeah. then as she's leaving, she says, why did I do that? When Nathan's taking her to the hospital. Yeah. And that, to me, was chilling. Yeah. Because someone addressing that they just, like, did something to their own body. And that's the only thing you could probably say is, like, why did I just do that? Like, what the fuck? Like, and it's not like she's in pain. She's shocked. Oh, yeah. And that's what I think got me about it is it was like, whoa, that's well, like, so she's visceral. Like, and she's like, I feel so stupid. Yeah. It's like, and, but that's real. I think someone would really say that. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, you're not understanding that that's not your fault. But I think you're being affected by that's the horror, right? Yeah. Right. Then. Oh, I love it. Okay. So Teresa and Nathan are gone for an entire fucking day, a full 24 hours to get her fingers. It's like a day and a half. Well, here's the thing. Well, it's hard to say because they come back the next night because the whole next day is the kids alone. Uh, Benny kind of does his job with the alpacas, but it sort of doesn't happen a couple times in a row. It does, but they like get back out and then it's like really at the worst time. But they bring up the the idea that time is kind of being wrapped around and spread out. Yeah. Because he talks about how one second it's day and one second it's night. And so I think that kind of happens and that kind of fucks up what he does, unfortunately. And while that's happening, Jack's been sitting in front of the well and he's whistling and sort of laughing at this voice that he hears, but nobody else can hear it. Yeah. Um, Lavinia has her first encounter with interference and she, this phone calls she keeps getting that are coming through and interfered. Well, that's when Nathan, her dad, her dad calls calls, right. And then she has a weird like mental disruption where she sort of almost blanks out like her mom. It seems like where she's almost a hip under like hypnotism. It looks like. Yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting because it gets triggered when she's trying to wash the knife. Her mom just cut her fingers off with. Right, and then the sink overflows with blood, which we don't know if that really happened or if she was hallucinating. I'm, I want to say hallucinating because when you notice the water's still pouring out, the water's not blood. It's still water. Right. But the sink, which it almost kind of looks like you could tell that they, like, plugged the sink with, like, yeah. a dish or something, too, to make sure it's, like, overflowing with water. Right, right. But it was interesting how the, fa- the water coming out of the faucet was still clear, but the sink was like full, like full of blood. It's like just that little bit of blood from the knife, like expanded through the water. Right. Well, and and I I should elaborate here too, that as right before this happens, we're watching a very close shot of the water coming out of the faucet and we see a sort of string of it. That's moving around almost as though it's alive. Yeah. Which, Um, but which is relevant because something's going on with the water and that's something that Ward Ends up coming to that conclusion because he's test- he's testing the water. He's ultimately there from he's a hydrologist, right? He's from Miskatonic doing a hydrology report or survey on the land. Yeah. Um, at the same time, though, like that could just be due to sediment buildup in the faucet. Like, yeah, but hold on, because later on, when Nathan gets in the shower, that comes back up in a way. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I want to lean eh, on that for a second. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'll bite it. 
right after this like sort of happens, Ward does show up again, and this is where he warns her that the water's contaminated and, no, and tells them not to drink them. Mm-hmm. Drink it. He goes and talks to Jack about the uh, well, but he, Jack just tells him he's playing with his friend and starts laughing. Yeah, the the man Very in the well. Very eerie, dude. Well, that's what's creepier is the man in the well is what he says. And right. So it's like to think of a man in there, and he's why isn't he coming out? Yeah, it's, it's a very well. scary. Imagery. What are you doing in there? Which. This is something I wanted to reference, too, is, I mean, Lovecraft's writing influence. Every time you see a well, a mysterious well in a movie, that's a fucking reference to Lovecraft. He, this is from this story in his writing. Uh, so he's that. Even he's the ring? That widely, Ringu? Absolutely. He, he's that widely um, influenced people in the last hundred years. And so I think that's, that's more to what I want to do, uh, address about Lovecraft in this story, is how much he has influenced things. And how, as much as I disagree in the genre being called Lovecraftian, I can appreciate why it is called that. I would say Lovecraftian isn't really a genre, it's just a theme. Yeah, I agree. Be- and I think that Slash it's funny. Influence, people also uh, immediately assume, like, tentacled monsters with the name Lovecraft. Because of Cthulhu being so, like, commercialized. There's get other the, Get the Cthulhu Go- Beanie Baby, you know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> Which is, like, so fucked up to think about. Like, There's, in, I mean, there's even, like, so many... Games, uh, call being video, games. video games or board games that just have their own Cthulhu sets right. because people like fucking Cthulhu stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Eldritch Gods, though, that are depicted that way as well. They're basically just tentacle monsters. Yeah, absolutely. And there's fucking, I mean, I'm not going to get into this, but there's Lovecraft-based fucking porn paraphernalia. So Lovecraft I mean, just liked uh, hentai, really. Yeah, or invented it, really. Probably. In a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Between Lovecraft and World War II, like the dropping of the bombs in Japan, I think that's where hentai comes from. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which is a weird thing. Oh, man. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. I think that it's really a combination of those two things. Because, uh, I, you know what? This is, a, if you guys <laughs> listen, I'm going to say this right now. If you guys are interested in listening to Zach and I dissect these types of things, we're debating doing some sort of like, Patreon or or donation based thing where we do episodes on this stuff. Let yeah. us know if that's something you're interested in. Yeah, because we, we will. We would like to do some cool stuff like that, but we don't necessarily want to dedicate a whole episode because uh, at the end of the day, we're here to review a movie. Ward talks to Jack in front of the well. Mm-hmm. Ward then goes and talks to Ezra, and this is where we kind of see Ezra that is see that Ezra is more connected to nature. This Ward, is the second time he meets Ezra. Because Benny takes right, him the right. first time, and then he does the water test with that strip, which interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, it turns red. Right. But then so the house phases, is having a girl. But then phases into that bright pink, purple that is everywhere. Right, right. And uh, so during this second um, conversation that they have, or interaction rather. Ezra basically... Oh, oh no, I'm sorry. Ward asks Ezra where his cat went. He says, oh, he's been out. Yeah, uh, G-Spot. G-Spot, which I didn't really want to get into this dumb joke, but yeah. But we, it's we a don't have to say the G-Spot. <laughs> I said it there. I'm not saying it again. It was Honestly, it was kind of a dumb part of the movie. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cringy, but whatever. So this part is kind of important because uh, Ezra says that he can hear the voices from the aliens under the floor. And then expre- explains that he knows that the land that or that the land and himself are now sort of contaminated with something. Yeah, he talks about how they're uh, 
what's in here is out there, and what's out he- there is in here. Right, and so that's, it's kind of hard to understand what he's like really going on about with that. But right, it's it's interesting because I'm gonna say Richard Stanley was able to take a stereotype of this hippie person and use it in an honest and almost disturbing way mm-hmm. that sort of fools you. Well, and that's what I mean is like, he's like so woke and like explaining that he knows what's going on. Like he gets it, but it's but to it's, other people, he's just a crazy old dude. But so, okay. So hold on. Does, does that mean, do you think Ezra is supposed to be the representation of the person driven mad by, um, enlightenment? Uh, no, because I kind of think, I kind of think Lavinia is. I think uh, that's, I think you're, I think we're probably both onto something here. Actually. Yeah. I think it's maybe a split of the two because I, I definitely see where I you're s- coming from. But I, yeah, and I see where you're coming from and it's, you get some really weird stuff with him later. I'm assuming uh. he dies. Yeah, I think he's dead. Or in that at least scene. transcends in some well, way. Wait, let's wait till we get there because I want to talk about that scene because the way I interpreted it the second time was a lot more interesting than the first time I watched. Yeah, it. and I'm having a think right now about it. Okay, so um, the dialogue that they give, Ward says, "I'll let you know if I see G Spot." To which Ezra says, "You might see her, but you won't recognize her." Which that's yeah. the first time we start to like realize like shit's going to start changing around them. Yeah, and this is also where Nathan and Teresa. Driving home that next night. Uh, oh, <laughs> we get that was your Nick quote for the opera. week, right? Yeah. Uh, so they they see G Spot, and G Spot's a fucking wild looking little monster now. CGI wasn't great. I gotta be honest, I was not in love with the design because it really just looked like a Siamese cat with really big eyes. But like a CGI interpretation of that or rendition <sighs> of that. And I get why. I do too. Although I think they should have really tried to push for something prosthetic, which and honestly a better design too. But because it was odd, because they're in the car, and then I think uh, Teresa. I I feel like her reaction's kind of weak. Like it, it. I didn't think she was great in this movie until a certain point. Sure. I thought she was okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And then because... she sold me. But we'll wait till we get there because it's a different type of acting she has to do. Yeah. Um, but, right. So I, I agree. I feel the same way. That kind of made the scene kind of hard for me. And then you, it kind of just cuts really chop, like in this choppy way, to like cuts to G-Spot. And you see it for like long enough, I guess, to soak it in. Um, and then, so like they like, swir- it cuts back and they like are swerving and, and something. That's literally that's yeah, all. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah. but I will say, do not let the CGI discourage you because we do get an awesome practical gag in about 20 minutes that makes up for it. Yeah. And I mean, you get some good, some good CG stuff too. That actually looks well, all right. We get a blend of practical and CG actually with what I'm referring to. That is, I know beautiful. what you're talking about. Beautiful, so, yeah. Um, and and actually, I want to say now, too, I mean, the CG used for all the color is really very well done. Yes. So Because it doesn't feel like it – it feels like it's there. It feels like they're naturally creating it. Exactly. It doesn't I was going to feel... say, it doesn't feel like an overlay mm-hmm. on, the, on the, the recording. It feels like it was also in, in the environment when they were filming the movie. Exactly. Totally. 
Jack and the dog see the color glow from the meteor site, and this is where the dog starts growling and runs off and disappears. We don't see the dog again after this. Are you sure the dog disappears at this point? I don't really think so. Because but the parents are almost home. You're right, because this is where Benny says what I keep, keep bringing up, is where he's like, one minute was day and then it was night. Right, because he comes in and finds, and this is what I was getting at, he finds Lavinia interacting with the static on his computer monitor, and this is where he explains that he was lost in the woods and he has no idea how he got there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Nathan and, and Teresa come home. Nathan freaks out because the alpacas are out and thinks that Benny's Which... being a slacker. We get Poor nothing. Benny, man. He tries to do what his dad said, and it didn't work out for him because fucking aliens. And and it sucks because Lavinia, <laughs> Lavinia tries to defend him even and yeah. says, like, no, something's like – well, she says, ever since that meteor landed, it's, it's been fucking this place up. And then he gives his weird-ass <laughs> delivery of nothing has been fucking this place up. Okay. It, like back in her face, so which this I is, know that you wanted to talk about this line. This is really important because if you remember when he's talking about living on his dad's farm and stuff, he does an impression of his dad mm-hmm. and how his dad was to him. He's being that way to his daughter. Sure. And and this is something that I <laughs> – we'll talk about it here. It's like, it's like his dad's – it's like the alien – is like possessing him with his dad's spirit in these moments. Right. And causing him to be like his father, which he announced earlier he doesn't want to be that way. Right. Now, we should also say here something that turns a lot of people off from this movie that I've talked to is Nick Cage's acting in this scene. Rage Cage. He doesn't quite rage cage, no, but, but it is, he does this uh, he does an accent which according to Nicolas Cage was him doing his real father's voice. Mm. So knowing that sort of changes my perspective on it because it's like, okay, well, then he was actually playing more like um, – He was really like kind of – He was in the role. He was like yeah. really in the role. Well, and he put – He had a he was to able, the character, really. He was able to really connect with this character in that way. Right. Now, the issue that a lot of people have and I understand is that the impression that he gives sounds like a Donald Trump impression. I didn't I'm think not going to say that I think that, but I have heard people say that, and oh, I get really? it. I don't think that's what it I is. didn't pick it up, so I right. would have never thought that. Um, he does it a couple times. I can understand yeah. it now, though, now that I think about it. Now, wrong. Nathan continues to lose his temper on the kids. Uh, like you said, he brings up that he's uh, he never wanted to be like his dad, but now he's starting to act like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan takes a shower and this is back to what we were talking about with the water earlier. He notices a strange gel buildup over the drain and he picks it up. And I made you watch the scene again. Well, and I, the first time I watched it, I saw it. So that's why when you did it, I was like, Oh, well, yeah, I know. You're like, did you see that? I was like, well, I saw it the first time, but it's weird because when he picks it up, it almost seems like a solid, like a bar of soap or like, uh, you know, your dry deodorant or something. But then when he's like holding it up and looking at it in the water, it's. Like it stings them, kind of? It looks like small tendrils come out very quickly and stick into his hand. Yeah, it looks like they kind of ooze out really quick and then recede again. Almost like claws or fangs. Yeah. But yeah, then he drops it and it's not stuck to him. Yeah. Very fucking eerie, though. Yeah. And then he, like, stomps it down the drain. Yeah. Which was gross. Yeah. But I think this is supposed to be showing that, like, the water is fucked up, like Ward said, and this thing is in it, and it's starting mm-hmm. to grow and try to become a physical thing. And it's interesting that they made it clear. I do kind of wish you would have gotten to see something with that later. 
But Me maybe too. since they were apparently planning to do a trilogy, it was supposed to be in something else. Or they, like go they to something else. I don't think they would have brought it back, to be honest with you. I think that he, he was going to tackle different stories entirely and then just keep Arkham and Miskatonic as the connecting. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, which Ward would be then be the reoccurring character in the three. Yeah. So, spoiler. Well, yeah. Uh, okay, sure. Which I'm okay with that, but it's... No, I am too. I was just thinking with the end of this, like... We would really? just see but... an aged ward in the second movie. Yeah. Slightly aged. But... I wouldn't say slightly. Like, he's he's definitely... it's he's, It's been a while. He's been there for a while. Yeah, okay, okay. But, well, like, we'll, I think we'll it's... Get into I it. think it's, like, 20 years. Uh, I was least. gonna say, I thought I saw maybe 10. But no, maybe... I, but 20? I think ward is in his early 20s. Early to mid-20s. Let's... Let's put a a pause on that for a minute because I want to come back to it. But this shower scene is important because later on one of the major things that happens to Nathan's character is he develops this rash on his arms and his skin. Yeah. And he starts scratching it. And that it is becomes so visceral. Pink and gray. It's so visceral and disgusting the way yeah. that they portray it. Like it looks real fever dry and, and scaly but, too. So Zach was hoping he was going to turn into a like lizard monster, and he didn't, and it sucks. Yep, so this movie gets a one. <laughs> um, Nathan becomes overwhelmed by the smell again, and Teresa tries to write it off as black mold from the basement, but Nathan lashes out at her in front of Jack and says, it's the exact same smell from the cancer ward where my dad died. Yeah. And that, like, to me was like, oh, that's so eerie, dude. Yeah. That he's just, like, overwhelmed by the smell of death, basically. It's kind of like he's being haunted by his dad, too. Yeah, kind of seems that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I, d- I didn't write down, but, uh, oh, no, actually, we're getting to it right here. So Nathan picks the tomatoes and peaches the next morning from his garden. He washes them, and uh, as he goes to eat them, he realizes that they're bitter and inedible. Yeah. But they've grown Every- to look Everything looks perfect. Perfect a month early. But it tastes like shit. Yeah. Uh, that was, like, a gross concept to me, like, how weird that is. Teresa complains about the reception from the dish. This adds tension between their characters because Nathan was the one that decided to have them move out there. And her job requires her to be connected. Yeah. The fact that they're using dish makes me think that maybe the story takes place in the early 90s or mid-90s. Yeah, and you don't really see any, like, new say mid to vehicles. Late 90s. But with the... I mean, I don't know. I kind of think she's got an iPod. Okay, let's say the thing is, though, you don't see you don't see the kids with cell phones. Maybe it's like mid two thousands. Yeah, it's hard to say. That's interesting. You don't see a lot. You don't. But see then, any if c- that's the case, oh, the dad has a cell phone. But if that's the case, I mean, Ward, Ward would only have aged like ten years at the end of the movie, it's assuming that it puts him in present time at the end. Okay, but he was like in his mid to early twenties. Tw- another 20 years. Yeah, but I'm saying if the movie takes place in the 2000s and you add 15 years to it, that only makes him like 40. Uh, I mean, some people get some gray hairs at 40. I was going to say, but though, he does look let's more... get into that now because I kind of think maybe it's also supposed to be like, oh, this event like aged him. Maybe. I mean, he looks like he's in his like... By the end of the movie, he looks like he's in his like... Mid fifties, maybe, dude, because he Late looks 50s? like kind of rugged and he's got the exactly. gray in his hair. He's got the he's got the defined lines on his face. He's got gray in his hair. Even when he's talking, there's a little more rasp. Rasp. Well, he's smoking a cigarette to as well. It. 
He's smoking cigarettes now. So that's now. what the I mean. Is anal hydrologist sinning away? So that's why maybe I'm wondering if it's supposed to be a representation of how the event affected him and how it like aged yeah. He's him. like, oh, that fucked me up. Right. I mean, I it, need a goddamn cigarette right now, and kid. My, here's my weird like allusion to that though. But I mean, like Barack Obama spent eight years in the office and look at before and after photos of him. I know. It looks like he aged like twenty years. So exactly. So this movie. Yeah. That's what I mean. Is it could uh, only sure. be like five years later <laughs> for all we know? But he looks like he did age pretty bad yeah um he just but it's interesting because like i didn't know watching it what to interpret of that how long had really passed i didn't notice that he was older the first time i watched it interesting i didn't notice he was aged until this time um so nathan like i said he picks those tomatoes he goes on uh, into the living room and starts to drink and he's been rubbing his arms pretty excessively and this is where he passes out watching tv which is like broadcasting these weird hypnotic like uh static to yeah him. This is a reoccurring theme to him. Lavinia begins casting another spell in her room, or doing a ritual, and this is where she pulls out a box cutter and starts to carve these symbols into her body. Yeah. And this is where I believe... It's kind of hard to watch. So this is where I was saying maybe... Because she says some things in this about giving herself over to something to fix things that are happening around her, but I almost wonder if this was her giving her body to the thing, this cosmic entity. Mm -hmm. If you and interpret the the ritual in the beginning as the summoning of this entity i believe that this ritual is her giving her body to it because that's where shit starts to really kick in right and i think that also this is um i think that this is her character is used as a way to show how shallow human understanding of things are Mm -hmm. and how naive we are when we go about doing things Mm. Uh, willingly, like, giving ourselves to things without fully understanding what we're doing or oh, the impact definitely. of the actions themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably the most, like, analytical and, like, uh, intellectual I've gone about dissecting a movie for the podcast yet. Hey, it comes from the source material. I can't so. help it. It's, that's what it is. is I'm so associated or like attached Sorry to the source. Sorry that House so. didn't get the deep dive that we're getting now. You know what, Actually, though? we did kind of go kind of deep on and that. And I would love to reassess, like, reassess that movie because it was a good movie. Yeah, there was just some parts I was like, oh. it, it didn't age well. I would say, but <laughs> that, it's still a yeah. good movie. Um, like the like musical number he does for a second. Yeah, that or was the weird. Broadway <laughs> thing. I guess I don't know. So this is where shit starts to pretty much hit the fan. Jack sneaks out, um, and he finds Benny on the porch. This is after Teresa's fallen asleep with him. Jack and Benny hear strange noises from the barn and go to investigate. They find that the alpacas have all morphed and melded into each other. This is very reminiscent of the blooming canine in the thing, which I, we, we talked about a little bit yesterday. Yeah. Uh, the color then chases the boys out of the barn. Only... This is where shit kind of really gets fucked up for me watching this uh, as a parent. Teresa wakes up to hear the boys screaming. She runs out and grabs Jack. And as she grabs him, he and Benny are running away from the barn. They're then struck by lightning. Yeah. Which, is it emitted from the alpacas, the Cronin llama? Um, I think that it has, it, it's definitely associated with that because it goes up into the air before the lightning strike. The llama thing does? Out. Yeah, the light the light coming from the llama does. Cause oh, the light. It, if, okay. The light chases them from out from the barn. Right, okay. And sort of expands out of the barn toward them. Goes up into the air, and then lightning strikes down on Teresa and Benny. <sighs> yeah. Or not Benny, but Jack, excuse me. This is where we st- see the beginning of the reverse birth. This is uh, the... This is like major society vibes right here. 
Yeah, this is remember some body that horror. episode. Go watch Society. This is some body horror. Uh, I'm gonna say right now, this movie uses body horror visually similarly to Society, but emotionally on a different level. Oh, absolutely. So we see Society that was so aggressive about it and almost comedic. This movie plays it yeah. so straight and uh, in your face and visceral. Yeah. So Jack is literally morphing into. Or through his mother. Yeah, they've combined, and he's kind of, like, coming out of her back now. Yeah, he's, like, yeah, absolutely. And and it's so fucked up the way it's portrayed. I mean, Jack's just sort of... He's suffering, he's he's crying out loud, he's moaning, and he's whining, and occasionally you hear, you hear sort of a mommy or daddy. Yeah. Um, which fucking kills me, man. I have two kids. I mean, I, I think this has come up in the podcast. You guys have probably even heard my son in an episode... This fucked me up the first time I watched it and left me feeling sick. Oh, really? The first time. Watching it the second time, I knew what I was getting into, and I also was like, you're watching Lovecraft, dumbass. Like, that's what you're getting. (laughs) Like, what do you expect? But not really knowing where it was going to go or how they were going to treat it based on the source material, seeing it is viscerally disgusting and Uh, and emotionally disturbing. Yeah, and I mean, I've got two cats. (laughs) So So when he saw G-Spot earlier, he was losing his mind. I, I I broke down in tears. Um, Lavinia is the best daughter possible, man. She sits there with Teresa and tries to soothe her through this whole thing. She, she, she tries. Also, after this, though, she also begs her dad not to make her go in there with him. Do you blame her? No. Because I would have done the same thing. But do, And do you also see how that plays out with her? Yeah. What, I, what I'm getting at is... Through the most of this, she's such a good daughter. But I do get what you're saying, and I also understand why she didn't want to. Because it gets horrifying. I feel like you get the good daughter vibe from her from the very start. Because, you know, she's she's using her belief to try and cure her mother. Right. And it's unfortunate how it doesn't work out for her. But uh, Nathan right. gets super overwhelmed. Or did it? Well, right, maybe it did. I guess we'll see if they make the sequel, because I have a feeling she might come back somehow. Oh, I don't think so. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. But I think that they, if they did that for a reason, playing with the the symbology and the Necronomicon, I think she will. Somehow. Um, but, but I don't know Lavinia is not going to come back, though. No, but I mean something in the vein of her Okay, might come back. I don't know. We'll see. Uh... Nathan gets overwhelmed by the the moaning and screaming of his wife and fucking son, and oh, he yeah. grabs a shotgun and goes out and obliterates the alpacas, the alpaca beast. Yeah, and w- after they bring him back in for the first time, alpaca lips, Cronin uh, uh, llamas. I like that one. <laughs> They're not llamas. I that. know, but I know, but you can't say Cronin alpaca. It's just Cronin oh, paca. Oh. There we go. Crone Packers. Crone and Packa. Um <laughs> so like, they bring her, bring him on the couch and they're kind of like shaking and stuff. Like you know like it's like almost like a seizure. It, it's it's sad. And they're slimy yeah. kind of um and they're like making they're turning these, like, gray too. Yeah, they turn gray and her hair's falling out. Um the boy's face starts turning like dark uh gray/black and he has like purple eyes. Um and uh he comes up and he's like, you know, Nathan gets like really upset and he's like, why are they making that noise? Yeah. It's like, dude, here's look the thing. at him. I kind of, I agree with you because it's like obvious, but at the same time, I understand that he's just trying to make sense of what's happening and he can't. Well, 
and it's also sickening and and he and wants it's it freaking to stop. Him out. Right. It's yeah. freaking him the fuck out. Exactly. It, so before we get into more of what happens between them, um, there are a couple of things that happen in this that I don't really want to get into because they don't really mean a lot to the story. I mean, I'll briefly okay. go over them, but Ward has shown a pack of animal bodies by the sheriff. That's never really explained why that happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that was maybe something where they had more and then cut it out. Right. And then um, I'm going to bring this up because it is relevant to something that happens later, but Lavinia struggles to get her horse to relax and it escapes. Which the horse also has purple eyes. Right. Well, so, like a, kind of a weird purple eye to it. It's still like dark and black, but there's like a purple. Yeah, we're just seeing that it's been somehow uh, affected by this. Or infected. the color. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Um, so I bring that up because the horse comes back a little bit later. But while this is happening, uh, Benny believes that he hears the dog in the well, so he goes into the well to get him. It is not the dog, and the color just fucking beams out of it. Yeah, it. It has these kind of plasma tentacles that reach for him. Yeah. And it kind of just pulls him in. Like, overwhelms him, yeah. Um, well, and, like, Lavinia, like, doesn't really help him. But what could she have done? Try to grab his hands? He was far down there, dude. He wasn't... There was, like, six feet between them when oh, okay. he gets overwhelmed. He... Okay, yeah, yeah, I so, guess so. uh the fucked up part is Nathan comes out almost immediately after this, doesn't give a shit about what happened because he didn't see it. And immediately goes off on Lavinia and says, you need to feed your, or he says, feed your mother. He takes her into the room with Teresa, which she is totally like trying not to. And Teresa tries to like eat Lavinia. She attacks her, but she, we should also oh. say now that Teresa's Teresa become this like fucking silent monster. hill resident evil shit. Yeah, and... Uh, this is where, like, the movie, for me, I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. So, yeah, she's a sort of a spider, and, and Jack's face is still in her back, but there's no longer humanity to them. They're sort of in yeah. sequence saying things but, together. Yeah, and, and she, can, she can, like, say stuff, but it's very, like... It's like, not her. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, there was just a switch that, like, flipped when Nathan goes to... After this happens and goes and kills the alpacas, because... He's like aggressively makes Lavinia do this and locks her in there. Now here's the thing too. Uh, I think that, well, here, let me get into this. Cause I kind of wrote something out about this. So right after this happens, we see warden and officer on their way to the farm. And this is where Lavinia's horse comes back up. They see it and they know that something's wrong. Cause the horse is out. Peter Ning can poop. <laughs> they, they rush to the, um, the farm Nathan answers the door, but he's scratching his arms and he invites him in not really perceiving reality correctly. We see that he believes his family is just sitting in the living room watching TV with him, which my theory on this is he sees everybody that has been consumed by the color because it is living in him. Oh, that's better than what I was going to say. I was going to say coming back around to what we were talking about with Ezra, because we're getting close. If we haven't already passed the part where we meet him again in his new state, right? Not yet. We're almost there. I'm wondering if, it's because so far they have transcended. That's what I mean. Is I the events and I think the that that's what it is. Alien, and he's perceiving them because they're all on the same level. He's just the only one that's right. still physically there. Because when the sheriff and the and ward get there, they and don't bust in. Um, which they're insanely shocked by the sight they're seeing of, uh, you know. Teresa right, when Jack, they do go upstairs, right? <laughs> uh, Cronin mom slash son um, is like, you know, pinning down Lavinia and like drooling all over her face. Um, Nathan shoots her in the head. 
Yeah, which then he comes in sh- and shoots her in the head and Jack's face. Here's the thing, and I didn't bring this up though. Before this happens, oh, when he, he kiss- kisses her before she goes full transformation, and this is what leads me to believe that once she's gone full transformation, she has transcended that physical form along with Jack, and that's why he perceives them in the living room, which we do see a physical representation of later in the movie. Right, and when when he kisses her, you see this like sticky goo coming from his lips from hers, which and is it's, the connection. It's pink, right? Which it's, that's it's the color. The it's the the water connection as well. Everybody is infected by this water that was infected by the land. Right, and it's part so... of it's part of him being even more infected than he already is. Right, exactly. And then he's like going haywire, seeing his family in the living room, and right after he shoots both of them, he goes, <laughs> "They're not my family." Exactly, and that's what I mean. Is I think that he physically no longer perceives these physical forms as his family because they have um, psychically transcended. We'll say. So, um, remind me what happens right after this when they all go outside. Well, so, um, Because they see something, right? Well, Ward and the Sheriff go to check on Ezra. Okay, but they all go outside for a moment, and Ward is standing oh, they go, on the ground right, with they Lavinia. They go outside, Nathan collapses on the floor. No, hang on. This, it's, a little, it's a little bigger than that, because Nathan points his gun and to me it didn't seem it's because the color was coming out of the well right so yeah. he's pointing his gun at the well that's what it was but the sheriff thinks he's pointing it at ward so he shoots nathan oh right and okay. then nathan drops sure okay which he's dead quote which on, i was presumably. like that's fucked up because i know based on what we just saw nathan is pointing at the well but why would the cop know that no i know but, and especially from the angle, he wouldn't know. Right. But, because um, maybe the cop's not even seeing the. That was well my happen. other argument. He's not is perceiving that. Maybe we're seeing it from the family's perspective and not from everybody else's. And that's the other half is the unreliable narrator. But we do know that some of this is perceived by Ward. The Cronin uh, mom slash son definitely is. But even the color stuff, because, well, we're going to get to that in a second. But when he comes back to the house from Ezra, that's when we know that he's perceiving some of it, at least. Uh-huh. But yeah, so this is important, too, because while this happens, Nathan collapses and, and Lavinia stays there with him. And she ends up uh, eventually sort of succumbing to the color. But before we get there, Warden the Sheriff go to check on Ezra in his cabin. But they find that his body is sort of rotted into his chair. And his voice is modulating through a tape player. Yeah, he's just like very solid sitting there. And that's where I was also getting at with maybe they're transcending. Because one thing he says earlier when he first tells Ward, he's like, you can hear him. And he's like, oh, it's it's just feedback from like magnetic tension. or I forget exactly what he says. But he, he, says some, he throws out some things where I'm like... I think scientifically that's probably like a good explanation, explanation, but it also kind of sounded like somebody just was like these, uh, cause it he says like good geothermal signals yeah, and stuff sure. like that. Yeah. It just kind of sounds like somebody just wrote that, but he says, you know, like what's out there's in here, what's in here's out there. They're in the static. Sure. He says that. And then all of a sudden, so it's like, did he record his voice or is he now playing through that? So, and I'm going to even take that another step further. Or is it the color using him to manipulate the people around them? Maybe it's that too. The way. Do you and, mean with the I, thing earlier? Well, 
with, with I would this say here, earlier, I well, don't here's, think so. Let me get into this. No, here, with, here right, for sure. And let me get into why. And I've referenced the thing a couple times here, but the thing replicates, mm-hmm. right? And it does so to manipulate. Mm-hmm. Why would the color be any different? If it takes over your body and spirit, would it not then be able to replicate without embodying the self? Yeah, why not? So I know, and this is kind of a deep philosophical idea, but I'm just saying, like, if we're talking about something beyond human nature, this thing doesn't even need to be retaining the quote unquote soul or spirit, mm-hmm. but more so the the idea or the um, what's the word I'm looking for the the vein of what this person was. Mm-hmm. The, I guess it's hard to even... It's just a concept, right? But it, it, it almost... It provokes that thought in me, though. Um, I'm with it. I'm hip. The... Ward finds... Oh, this is cool. So Ward and the Sheriff, uh, when they leave Ezra's uh, cabin, which at this point Ezra's recording... Oh, man. Ezra's recording sort of explains what... More so what's happening using his language uh, of being sort of convoluted to the normal person. Uh-huh. Uh, they leave and His wokeness, if you will, this is one of the coolest, uh, things I've seen in a movie. And what I loved was they're leaving in the ward, a ward, the, the, and sheriff. the sheriff, they hear this noise and the sheriff gets ripped up off the ground yeah. by a branch. And you the see him just fly in the air and you're like, what the fuck? And his gun goes off. Right. I think cause so, either because he drops it or I think he drops it and it goes off. So ward points his flashlight up and looks and the trees like fucking eating this guy. Well, he also, he kind of just turns around. And he's like, where the, fuck did he go right and then looks up and yeah the trees like like constricting him yeah and uh, yeah i guess eating him which this i mean i know that annihilation has been compared to um lovecraft which is fine and i i'm not talking about the movie even i'm talking about the book here sure or the southern reach trilogy as a whole but this scene to me uh made me really think about annihilation and the uh. way that they treat nature and it actually made me want to read the book because i know they play around with this sort of thing the movie was interesting I thought the movie was good. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But it was I, a little out there. I think I'm more interested in reading the book cuz the book takes a little more of a clinical uh, I'm sure you miss, look at I'm it. sure you're getting a lot of stuff that uh, in the book that you don't get in the movie simply because of how books and movie like well, translate and, to movies. Well, and even know? then that book <laughs> tangent here, but that book's written from the perspective of a biologist taking notes about what's happening. Oh, right. So okay. it's not even like a straight narrative necessarily. Yeah. It, okay. I mean, it is, but it plays out through her notes. Right. And so I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I'd love to read that. So it's almost Rather like you're than... reading her journal instead exactly. of a book about this story. And so I'm more interested in almost reading that than watching the movie where they had, I mean, in the book, nobody, none of the characters even have names. They're oh. known by their role. Right. And they kind of do right. something like that in the beginning. Yeah. All the characters, they pretty much tell them that they like, we're not going by names. You're just calling us by this. And it's a major part of it is losing human identity and nature is supposed to be a big theme in that story. We're not doing Annihilation <laughs> no. right now. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm just saying, I wanted to make that connection because it did make me think of that. Um, this is where Ward finds Lavinia at the well. She's glowing with the color, and it's glowing through these carvings she made on her body. Yeah, well, she's cool. got a pretty cool little symbol on her forehead. Very cool imagery. Not, a, not in the shape of Nell, though. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's kind of this interesting, archaic, like, primordial symbol of witchcraft it's or something very interesting but image the thing is <laughs> the thing is um we shortly here get this vision of this other I believe world ward, i believe ward is seeing it through her i believe so too okay. and you end up seeing um like an idol i guess or like a statue which 
is well, let me a relate, reflection of the symbol on her forehead. Let me relate this scene. We covered The Void last week, which is also a very Lovecraftian and theme story. Yeah. Um, they do something sort of similar at the end of that film, where it shows these people in this wasteland together. Yeah. the big pyramid. Yeah. This is very similar, where they use this image of the yeah, symbol is. that's on her head, and it's this wasteland where it's this huge idol of this symbol. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't really make a connection watching it, but thinking about that now, I mean, we just walked, we covered the void. It's because we, yeah, exactly. So, it's very similar imagery to that. I will say the void came out fucking four years, three years before this. So yeah, yeah. I'm giving them the credit here. That movie's very great. Um. Anyways, a massive surge of the color flows from the sky into the. Let me start that over. A masses. A massive massive surge of the color flows from the well into the sky. Lavinia's body tears away in the light as it tornadoes around Ward. Ward makes his way into the house to see Nathan. He screams, you're dead, Nathan. But Nathan speaks to him using Lavinia's voice, layered with the rest of the family. The family are seen on the couch. Ward hides from the now violent Nathan in the basement before the entire area explodes into ash. Mm. I know that's a lot, but... It plays out very quickly, and so I wanted to make sure I kind of explained what happened. It's quick, but it's not too quick. You get enough time to soak everything in. Yeah, you visually understand what's happening. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Now, this is where we've we've been alluding to this. Ward makes his way out, and then we sort of get this fade into Ward standing. um, Oh, oh, sorry. We don't get a fade out. We get a pull out, and we see that all of the land around where the house was is now this gray blasted heath. And I call it that because that's what it's referred to in the book is a blasted heath. Yeah. We then get a fade to see that a river now runs through the land into a dam. And Ward is standing on the dam looking at the water. And this is where he gives a bit of a monologue about how he will never... Dr- oh, you have it. Um, I don't have all of it. Go ahead and read what you have. I have, like, the cool, the really cool thing he says. Bring that up, because I think that's the most important part. Um, he says, What touched this place cannot be quantified or understood by human science. It was just a color out of space, a messenger from realms whose existence stuns the brain and numbs us with the gulfs that it throws open before our frenzied eyes. Perfect. And and this is his explanation for why he won't drink the water because he believes it to be still infected from the land. Oh, it definitely is. It, it is. It and, didn't leave. And this to me and is... It also, there's also all that ash, which what do you think ash does? It right. fertilizes land. Absolutely. And so this to me is... Um, Sort of a way for them to lead the Ward character into Dunlop Horror for a sequel. Yeah. But that is this movie. I mean, that's this whole story. And this is where, in the beginning, I said Ward, I believe, to be our protagonist. He is the one who ultimately goes through the story and comes out a changed person. Yeah. Although, do we know if it's for better? Who knows? Right? Yeah. So that's our movie. Um, that is the that on that. I don't really have any quotes because I kind of read them throughout the episode. Like I said, this is a longer running one and a little more analytical. So I wanted to kind of just go through it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, there's not like a lot of good quotes. Um, although I did only write down part of one that I thought. He, oh no, I remember what he said. So I'll say the whole thing. Um, I actually kind of liked it, and it was in that moment when he was trying to comfort Teresa about you know her cancer and stuff, oh, right. and, and then talking, talking about. about his dad, and he says. Uh, the dream you dream alone is just a dream. The dream you dream together is reality. Beautiful. Yeah. I have to wonder if that's a Lovecraft quote it, itself. It could be. Um, um, something else that happens in there uh, that is a quote that I'll bring up because it was kind of sweet. Um, 
that first night before they hook up and before the meteorite land lands, hook up. you know, where they're trying to bang <laughs> Nathan and Teresa. Well, Nathan uh, and Teresa are kind of rekindling their relationship and she's, she's talking about how her breasts are gone. And yeah. He says, I'm more of a leg man anyway. Yeah, yeah. That was a line I, I really did appreciate because it felt very honest between a couple, especially a couple that were dealing with something and, mm-hmm. and a loving husband who's saying like, no, you know, I don't love you for your body. And there's still parts of you that I still really do appreciate regardless of that. Right. And very honest. Um, just sweet and I think uh, well written dynamic between those characters. So do you think maybe here's a thought. Do you think maybe when Jack and Teresa get fused together, it kind of also accelerates the cancer maybe inside of her and like increases it? Well, it, uh, it's now inside of him too because they're like one being. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe, but it is. I was very curious about the way that they treated their body after the after that, how she turns into the monster, like how they kind of got to that. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't linger on the transformation too much. Cause I felt like it was perfect. Well, you don't really see a transformation because the scene before that, they're just laying there and then sure. she's in the dark and kind of hiding and just kind of jumps out. No, right. But throughout, um, but you do see her neck stretch up and that was pretty cool. That was gross. <laughs> I loved it. It's During, very like Junji Ito. It very, and and that's another thing is I mean Junji Ito there there's another Ooh. artist I can't think of his name but there's another artist who's also very inspired by Lovecraft uh, an Asian uh, artist who's inspired by Lovecraft he does some uh, very wicked art H R Geiger yeah yep he's an Asian artist H R Geiger <laughs> oh, I didn't know you said Asian um, but Geiger is incredibly inspired by Lovecraft obviously oh it's a penis up. <laughs> Oh, it's sexy and scaling. Oh, so um, is it scaling you? Is it scaling you? Do you have a scared boner? <laughs> is it a fear boner you have in your pants? Is it a fear? Oh, are you afraid I might bite? <laughs> uh, I am. No. Yeah, I think there was a lot that happens in this story. Um, I liked it a lot. Let's go into scores. All right. What, what are, are we, we scoring it out of this mm. week? Cronin Llama. How many Cronin Llamas do you know? I give this... I'm giving it a 4.5. Oh, wow. I'm very shocked by that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? That was my initial score for it the first time I watched it. So, after talking about it... Here's the thing. My... Yeah, first time I was like, yeah, 4.5, probably. 4 to 4.5. And then after watching it, there was some, like, cringe with some of the dialogue and some stuff that kind of made me go... Eh. And then, you know, the G-spot scene, and then um, I was just kind of like, eh. And so I was kind of like, I don't know if I really do like this movie as much. But, like, still, everything that happens, everything we really just, like, dissected here, yeah, at least a 4.5. Okay. This movie's, like, almost perfect for me. Nice. Okay. Well, and I'm assuming you recommend it. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I, I've actually already recommended it I was to, just going to gonna say, I already kind of brought this up, but I did recommend it to somebody. I let them have my copy of it, basically. So, obviously, I'm going to recommend on this one, too. I'm actually going to give this a solid 4. I was going to say soft 4.5, but I'll give it a solid 4. I think it is a solid movie. It's not perfect, but um, my biases aside, I think that it is a strong movie on its own. Yeah, it's really strong, and... It's it's interesting. I can see how a lot of people probably wouldn't enjoy it and might think it's kind of corny and stuff. But I think those people are probably too used to watching Fast and Furious movies. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to say that 
this is a case where I think that someone who's a fan of literary Lovecraft would actually really enjoy this interpretation. Yeah, definitely. Which is not common done. I mean, a lot of people complain about adaptations feeling like they missed out on too much, and I think this actually gave you exactly as much as you needed from the story. Yeah, and I mean, even without thinking like, oh, this is a Lovecraft adaptation, it's still very strong on its own. Absolutely. Like, if you know nothing about Lovecraft, you're not going to necessarily be... I mean, you might, like, not get a couple things, but it's not like you have to know all this stuff. Like, I don't know that much about Lovecraft. Yeah, it's not... Honestly. It's not relying on, um, like, fanfare. Because you were asking me yesterday, you're like, what's your favorite uh, Lovecraftian movie or something like that? And I was like, dude, I don't know, because I don't think I've really seen many. Which I was going to do that, and I don't think I'm going to, because I think it's too hard. It is too hard, because, one... I haven't seen th- that many. And well, you haven't seen a lot of the key ones that are obvious adaptations. Sure. And, like, really all I've seen is this and Hellboy. And Hellboy, it's not even really fair to say Hellboy is because that's a movie that was adapted from Mike Mignola. But it's based on and inspired comic, by. But not completely. In that it's not an adaptation of a Lovecraft story. Exactly. Specifically. Sure. But... The theme is there. Right, absolutely. Which and is, the influence is there. Which is something I... And I it is up, a great... Uh, that first Hellboy movie is so good. Well, and, Go and watch I, it. I brought up the thing a couple times this episode. It's not a Lovecraftian story. It's at all. It's actually based on another science fiction writer's story. Mm-hmm. But it has the themes of Lovecraft in it. And that's yeah. exactly what you were talking about. It comes up. So... Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, did you ever get to see Reanimator? I did watch it, although I don't think I really saw from start to finish, but I've seen, I want to say, 85% of the movie. But it was a few months ago. I might have been greening out a little bit. Sure, sure. uh, And I was probably also doing something else at the same time, so. Okay, well, here's why I brought that up, and here's what I'm going to say to the audience. If you guys enjoyed this movie and you haven't seen Reanimator, go watch Reanimator. If you don't, if you didn't enjoy this movie and you don't understand why this movie affected us as fans of this genre so much, go watch Reanimator because Reanimator is an example of how this writer specifically has been treated with adaptation. Mm-hmm. I'm not shitting on Stuart Gordon. I really appreciate Stuart Gordon. I don't think that he fully respected Lovecraft's work and his adaptations. Hmm. that's why I say that because this is the first time I think we've gotten a truly honest adaptation of Lovecraft that was not making a joke out of it. Right. Cause reanimator was kind of campy and like, exactly. Jo- you know, it's schlocky. It's a yeah. schlocky movie. I mean, very easily. And I think Stuart Gordon knew that. And he played with these like sexual themes a lot. And, Right, we can get into some that. titties in that movie. We can get into that and how that relates to Lovecraft, but I think that as far as his work goes, this is the most honest adaptation. I'm surprised so. we haven't covered Reanimator. We will. It's on the long list. Okay, so it's down the down the old dusty trail. That is that on that. Yep. Go follow us on it's Instagram and Twitter at wawwtpod. Uh, yeah, and, uh, give us a listen on, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, CastBox, uh, Google Play. Google Play, yeah. Which we, I just fixed that feed, so you should be able to find us on Google Play now if you haven't before. I think you said that last time. Uh, maybe. Oh, no, I think maybe you said that that to me. Um, yeah, and leave a review, uh, cause that really, like, you know, that really helps us out and... 
just let us know how we're doing. Do you do you like this stuff? Do you think we're morons? Tell us. Well, I think we're morons. Well, I do too, and I know we're morons, but I want people to tell me that. Tune in. Next I want week. them to know. Tune in next week when Zach falls in love with a car and Sean's overtaken by a grass. Oh, love. Peace, Peace bitches. bitches. <laughs> 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 Why are we watching this?